This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I ring in the new year with our exciting New Year's resolutions, review the Truly Vodka Seltzer Pack, catch up on book two of Curse of the Crimson Throne, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a wheel save. You're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back. Yeah, we're back. New Year's Eve. The final HLP recording of 2022. And what a year it's been. What a year. What a year. Lots of announcements. Charity stream. Uh, Final book. Final book. Zone of Truth 100. Probably our crowning achievement. Presence at PaizoCon. Incredible meetup. It's been a decent year. Yeah. Yeah. A lot better than the previous two. I would say so. You know, I had a I had a moment last night. I usually get like weirdly depressive and introspective around the New Year's. And I started to get that way a little bit last night. And then I was like, you know what? Actually, have I achieved all my goals? Probably not. But like a lot of cool stuff has happened. All of that awesome show stuff we've talked about. I moved to a new apartment. Um I don't know, but like we've been to a, a, some really kick-ass concerts, saw some awesome movies. Uh, it's been good. Honestly, 2022 for the world, meh. For me, not too bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could definitely have been worse. Absolutely. And and has been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how have you been, man? It's been a minute since I've seen you. Pretty good, yeah. Just finished up spending the holidays with my family, and we actually got to see pretty much Haley's whole family, too. Um, mm-hmm. So... It was good. It was nice to be back in PA, which avoided most of the winter shenanigans, at least around my house. So there wasn't any snow, really. But that also means, like, nothing really froze over, so we could do pretty much whatever we wanted to, which was nice. Yeah, absolutely. And we were actually both in the Philly suburbs at the same time, essentially. My parents came out here to visit for a moment, and then we convoyed over to meet up with my brother and his wife and new kid and had a Christmas celebration there. It was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I guess this is where we just start getting into it. What do you want to tell the people at home about? What I've been doing? Yeah. Oh, well, because I was back in Philly, I kind of hit a tour de force of the breweries there. Uh, There's actually a new tap room for Tired Hands, which is a brewery I really like and you really Mm -hmm. like out there and they're normally for my family it's a little hard to get to their regular tap room it's like 40 minutes away because it's just like around philly on the main line and traffic's terrible and whatever yeah Uh, but they actually just opened a tap room in kennett square where i'm from and it's like this really cool like it's it's underneath a bar so there's there's like a tavern upstairs that, you know, they'll put their beards on tap up there. But if you go on, uh, under the stairs, it's actually like partially underground. And they only have uh, Alien Church on tap, which is their like. Their flagship. Right now, IPA, their flagship right? IPA, yeah. yeah. But they have like a wall of fridges. Ooh. And it's got like all their new stuff. They had like 14 different beers that you could just buy a single can of and drink mm-hmm. it there. Or you could buy like four packs and it was cheaper than you know, going to a distributor and buying any of their stuff. Sure. They also had this like retro fridge. It was like an old school, like those rounded fridges with the like handle you push in. That's kind of like a door, oh, like a yeah, car yeah, door yeah, handle. And it had like a bunch of their like 
just like old stuff. Old stuff? Like single cans and bottles of like stuff that's like, you know, five years old. Oh. So you could go in there and you could look for like hidden gems. It was kind of cool. That's awesome. Um, Does the new tap room have the Papa Norman seal of approval? Yeah, he went there for their unofficial opening. Uh-huh. He's been there. Uh, he's been there a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's cool because it's just like, it's very chill. It's mm-hmm. not like a bar. It's almost more like a cafe. Um, cool. It's got like a couple tables down there and like it's got Wi-Fi. You can bring your computer. A couple people were like on their computers down there. But instead of a coffee, you just like <laughs> get a tall boy of tired hands beer. But we did that. We went to Levante, which annual trip Classic, to Levante. Got to course, do it. Yeah. They had some great stuff on tap. I had like a Schwartz beer from there that knocked my socks off. It was like this smoked Schwartz beer. Fantastic. Me and my dad were realizing here that like, since he has been doing this brew fest, there are six breweries in Kennet. Kennet Square is called Kennet Square because it is one square mile. <laughs> That's pretty high per capita. But Victory is there. There's a brewery called Braylock, which is where yeah. we usually go after the brew fest just because they have like a fantastic outside area. Uh, there's Kennet Brewing. Mm-hmm. There's Tired Hands now. There's Two Stones. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. There's Be Here. I think that's the whole list, which is just nuts for how small the town is. So kind of pivoting off of that, we were chatting about some of the listeners know that uh, my aunt died earlier this year due to ALS. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, used his like brewery contacts. There's a program called Ales for ALS, which mm-hmm. is one that I'd like definitely like to, you know, support at some point, either this show or through um, Link Legacy as like a charity thing. But all their proceeds go to uh, research for ALS. Oh, how cool is that? And they have this family that grows hops. Mm -hmm. And they supply any brewery that participates with free hops. And they make a beer with those hops. To make something special to benefit the charity? So you make a beer with the hops. And what they require is that it's like a dollar per pint gets Mm -hmm. donated back to Ales for ALS. Well, there's like a couple regions in the country that are like way more represented. And it just so happened that like the mid-Atlantic, like Pennsylvania, Delaware, Jersey, only had six breweries participate last year. Mm-hmm. He got 26 signed up this year. Wow, that's and, amazing. And apparently they make like five to seven grand per brewery that does it. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I just reached out to my whole list. It was like, who wants yeah. to, you know, I kept bugging him. So he got like 20 more to participate, which makes um, well over a hundred grand. If you, well, yeah, and makes the, average, the yeah. makes the Mid Atlantic now the third biggest region that participates, which is cool. Good for him, and, and good for them. That's so cool. Drink a good beer for a good cause. I can never say no to that, right? Yeah. So all six breweries in Canada are participating. So he said, for one of these, he'll get us all of their ALS beers to try on here. That would be amazing. That would be a really cool episode. Yeah, yeah we got to do that. But yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to. You know, mostly at home doing the family thing, drinking a lot of good beer. Nice, nice. Well, my trip out to Philly was a little different than yours. It was very short. Essentially what happened is my folks came out, you know, they're they're living in Chicago. They came out to visit me in Columbus. They stayed the night. Then we drove out to visit my brother and his wife and the new kid. But I mean, this kid's like a month old, so they got their hands (laughs) full. They're not sleeping at all. They're constantly changing them, feeding them, burping them, putting them down. You know you know how yeah, it is, the yeah. brand new newborn. So it wasn't like a big, let's go out to dinner, let's hit some breweries, let's go on hikes type of traditional Strapple family get together. But it was, you know, it was short, it was sweet. 
Uh, it, it was a nice visit. And then yesterday we drove back here, me and my parents. They stayed the night and they're doing the final leg pretty much as we speak to get back to Chicago. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they're doing a hell of a lot of driving. Yeah. That final leg's not terrible. But, no. But yeah, the, the combined is rough. So I don't have a whole lot of like cool like family holiday vacation stuff to convey to the listeners in the same way that you did. But I got a couple cool things that I'd like to throw out there because I started experimenting with some fun stuff because I had a ton of time off work around the holidays. So I watched some real art housey horror films. I want to talk a little bit about Mad God and Antiviral. So Mad God is about a 90 minute movie, but it is 100% stop motion. Ooh. So you know that type of like really creepy animation that uh, what was the Peter Jackson film, the really disgusting one with like the monkey creature. Oh, and oh um, you're, you're talking dead something uh, dead alive, dead alive. Or I think it's also known as like brain dead. Yeah. Yeah. But you know how like that monkey is animated yeah, and stuff, yeah. that type of animation. Yeah. That's through unsettling. And through, <laughs> all of it. Everything is stop motion and it is very very unsettling to watch it's gross as hell it's just as foul as that but it's a really fascinating watch and no movie has really challenged the way that i like look at plot and stuff the way that that has i don't even think that there's any dialogue if i remember correctly it's a wild one it's on shutter i'd i'd say check it out but know what you're getting into the other art housey horror flick that i watched was uh, Brendan Cronenberg's first film, Antiviral, which is a somewhat satirical, yet very horror and creepy look on a somewhat alternate reality where popular culture is much more obsessed with celebrities than we are today, and there are some much looser laws. So there's an industry around growing steaks and meats from cells that are harvested from celebrities or getting skin grafts of celebrity skin on yours so they're like growing on you but the plot of the movie revolves around a pharmaceutical company i think it's like a bioengineering company or whatever that when a celebrity gets sick they'll get in touch with that celebrity and harvest like the disease cells and then there are people that will pay to get injected with that disease. And they engineer it in a way where the disease is non-communicable. Mm-hmm. Like there's an actress that gets herpes on one side of her mouth and they harvest the herpes cells. And then they're giving them to people deliberately. Like they were on the left side of her mouth. They're giving it to people on the right side of their mouth. So it's like she kissed them and gave them herpes. That's creepy. It's a very, very, very unsettling film. But it's really, really, really good. I was really impressed with it. Both that and Mad God, like, really blew me away in different ways. Anyway, that's not the plot of the film. Like, I have to explain, like, eight things to get into what the movie's actually about. It's about a guy who works there that injects himself with the diseases intentionally off the record and then sells them to people on the black market. But he injects himself with a disease harvested from a actress who then dies. And then he realizes the disease that he has is lethal Mm -hmm. and people want it. It's very wild, very creepy. Check it out. But like Mad God, know what you're getting into first. A couple very quick things, then we can move on to the actual meat of this. I had a lot of free time around the holidays. (laughs) I played Frostpunk, which is 
a a kind of RTS type game, but there's no combat in it. It's like you're playing Age of Empires, but like don't fight other civilizations. It's you just have this like steampunky civilization or rather like community trying to survive an ice age. So like you have to make some really tough decisions. You got kids in the community. Do you put them to work like in the coal mines to keep the coal generators running? You're balancing your discontent in the community with your hope and then all of these resources and people are starving. They're losing their limbs and getting frostbite and stuff, but you got to keep the generators going, keep the place warm. It's really, really cool. And then finally, I read a book basically in two sittings. It's called Devolution. It is about a fictional Sasquatch massacre. It is written by Max Brooks, the guy that wrote World War Z, and it's his first full-blown novel since World War Z came out like 20 years ago. And it sucked me in. It is pure horror through and through. I've never really connected with any Bigfoot stories, but it was super creepy. And it's written in such a way like World War Z is in that it's one person's journal entries, but it's punctuated with different interviews with experts and transcriptions of radio broadcasts and different things that are happening around this Sasquatch massacre that really contextualize it in this larger, unstable political climate and uh, natural disaster that precipitates it. So it's super interesting. It's one of those books that I read and I'm like, God, what I would give to get this turned into a movie. It's it would be great. But um Well, if yeah. they didn't massacre it like they did World War Z. Oh, that was a fucking travesty. <laughs> it just it just didn't play out nearly as well as you could have done with that style of writing, I think. Yeah, it's a C minus zombie movie with like A plus backing material. They should have made this is a whole other tangent, but they should have just made that like an HBO miniseries where each episode is a different, completely yeah. separate thing. Yeah, I mean they did that, that with the stand, except I think it was AMC, but sure. I mean it was like nine episodes. It's mm-hmm. just like because there's so many POV characters, right? It, yeah. It, it kind of has to work like Game of Thrones did. Where it's like either you do an episode and you're like looking at three of the POVs over the course of an hour Mm -hmm. or you kind of like spend an episode with just like, you know, Jon Snow or whatever. Yeah. They handled that poorly. Yeah. Have you heard of RimWorld? No. What's RimWorld? I think it's pretty similar to Frostpunk Uh um, in that it's like you're like colonizing different planets. Oh, cool. But like the wrinkle is Mm -hmm. that like you can play different species that kind of have different priorities and you also can like you know the worlds you colonize all have different like obstacles that you have to overcome so it's not like just an ice age it's like oh this world's like super hot and has acid rain so like how do we but it has the same like hope and you know like (laughs) you can you could do some seriously fucked up things with the colonists and like your hope will drop to zero or whatever let me tell you griffin I survived the Ice Age, but I had to compromise every single one of my morals to do it. <laughs> it was a the, the epilogue was like you survived, but was it worth? But it? at what cost? <laughs> yeah, that sounds so cool, man. Now that my 
laptop can handle these types of games, I'm going to be asking you again for that later. Yeah, that I, name I, later. I think it's like super cheap on Steam because mm-hmm. it, it was popular like five years ago. Okay. It's, it's by no means like a graphical masterpiece. It's sure. more like a little guy. Your colonists are just like kind of like a, you know, mm-hmm. a beefed up stick figure kind of thing. Yeah. Hey, I'm here for it, though. I hadn't played any type of game like that pretty much since Age of Empires. So to get back into it got me going and I was excited. How do you feel about moving into our truly vodka seltzer pack review? How about it? Because Griffin, it's New Year's Eve. The party starts now. Check the time. What is it? Uh, 2.55. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, we got got some uh, ground to tread here. But we got nine hours till midnight, baby. <laughs> introducing truly vodka seltzer made with six times distilled vodka, real fruit juice, and premium flavors for an elevated drinking experience. It's one seriously spirited drink. We have 5% ABV, two grams of sugar, and 110 calories. Notably, this costs as much as a regular pack of truly hard seltzers, but there's only eight of them in the box. So like I said downstairs, these better be freaking good. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, they, they better be real good. Yeah, hopefully. I'm hopeful, but we'll see. You know, we're doing it a little elevated today. This isn't your regular garden variety hard seltzers. These are the elevated vodka seltzers. They cost a little more per can. You know what I got us earlier this week What'd you get? for today? I got the 99 seltzers again. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> for New Year's Eve. Cool. A easy recipe for us to not remember New Year's. <laughs> Easy slide into 2023. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible day one of the new year. On the wings of a blackout. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm going to drink two of those once we get done with this episode and be fucked up. (laughs) All right. We got eight in a box. We got four flavors. Blackberry and lemon, cherry and lime, peach and tangerine, pineapple, and cranberry. They're all hybrids. How are we going to rank these seltzers? Well, of course, we're going to be using the very easy to remember New Year's Eve scale. So, one out of five is a packed New Year's Eve bar party with excessive cover and difficulty ordering drinks due to the crowd. Two is increasingly convoluted glasses with the year numbers as the frame. Three is the feeling of finishing your New Year's Eve champagne and not having to drink champagne again for the rest of the year. The HLP's annual 2 a.m. New Year's viewing of Cats 2019. Annual. And then... Five out of five is rocking in the new year with the song One Week by Bare Naked Ladies, which is what we did last year. <laughs> so Led to a good year. <laughs> it did. Griff, how do you feel about cracking into these? Sure. I, I was kind of curious. Do you have any like standouts on this list that you're like the flavor combos that you're looking forward oh, to? Oh, boy. Um, I think for me, it's probably the pineapple cranberry I'm, I'm curious about. I think that holds the most promise. I think the one that will be the best is a toss-up between cherry and lime and peach and tangerine. I think peach and tangerine is going to be safe. Cherry and lime, as long as it's not bad, those two flavors usually end up canceling each other out in a seltzer. Blackberry and lemon, I don't have high hopes for. I think my only hope for that is that it's kind of like a blackberry lemonade instead of a blackberry lemon. You want to crack that open and read us the copy there? Well, I do have the blackberry lemon here. So when it comes to flavor combos, you just can't beat sweet and sour. Juicy blackberries, tart lemon, and real vodka make for a delicious drink every time. And I don't think these have any cheesy... No, no copy on the can. Cheesy can copy on them. No. So I'll just get into this one. Can't really smell the vodka. Hmm. There's okay. not, not a lot of vodka on the nose. 
He's going back in for a second sip. Let's see if that's a good thing or a bad thing in a moment. Okay. Super clean. Yeah. Tastes super clean. That's good as hell. Yeah. That's refreshing. That almost tastes like freshly squeezed lemon. I don't taste almost any alcohol in there. You got a little bit of the artificial sweetener that you get with basically every seltzer, but it's not a bad one. And the aftertaste you're left with is just like a little blackberry floater. It's nice. That's pretty good, actually. I think I'm going to give that the annual 2 a.m. New Year's viewing of Cats 2019. That's exactly where I am. And the annual 2 a.m. New Year's Eve viewing of Cats 2019. That's really good. Four out of five. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Already pretty close to top of the list of what truly makes for me. Yeah. I mean, that's like as good as most of the stuff on the poolside summer pack. I absolutely agree with that. Well, let's see if they can keep the momentum going. This can notably a different shade of blue than the other. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that. This is cherry and lime. If you've ever wanted a grown-up version of a cherry limeade, look no further. Starts sweet and finishes with a refreshing kick, just the way we like it. As I was reading that, that reminded me, we have a standard to hold this to. Do you remember? The Sonic Cherry Limeade. Can it beat the Sonic Cherry Limeade? (laughs) Let's see. Yes, I can. I gotta say, that's <laughs> fucking delightful. <laughs> I love that. that. Easily beats that. That makes Sonic look like a little bitch. That's so good. Yeah, that one's really quite good. And I think it delivers on the limeade. It does. Weirdly enough, like it's not just lime. It tastes like limeade. It is right at that needle mark of like beautifully sweet, but not crossing over into tart or really too candy-y. That's great. What's dangerous about all these? I feel like all of these would make great mixers. Oh. So far. I think you could actually put more vodka in these and be, well, I mean, you'd be in 99 seltzers in beyond territory, but it would be good. That's a five out of five. That's rocking in the new year with the song One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies. Yeah. It's so damn good. I agree with that. That's a really good seltzer. Wow. Are we calling these seltzers? Are they calling themselves seltzers? There's seltzers these... on the can. Yeah. And yeah. that's why we're allowing it this year. There's a lot of... There's a lot of like those... those can cocktails. Can. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, these are made with vodka. I don't really know what the line is. Yeah, we usually don't do those like cocktails in a can that are getting really popular these days on this review show. But I thought this kind of made buys an exception. One, because it's truly a mm-hmm. hard seltzer hard brand, seltzer company. and it yeah. says seltzer on the package. Well, I got peach and tangerine here. Peacherine, tangerine, whatever you call this duo, one thing is for sure. It makes for a damn good vodka seltzer. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty fucking hard to fault right there. It's exactly what it says on the tin. Maybe the best peach seltzer I've had. We're going to crush through these tonight. Yeah. There's only four more after this episode. They're going to be gone in these 20 are, minutes. These are easy drinking. They're I mean, so if Haley can drink these, she's got to try them. Cause... I'm pretty confident they're gluten-free. Um, go ahead and vamp. I'm going to keep looking at this yeah. can because I know you got stuff to say. Gluten-free right there. Yeah. Boom. I think the tangerine actually really helps that. Mm-hmm. Give it like a little tart finish. Otherwise, it might be too sweet. Yep. And it also like crushes the shit out of the white claw tangerine, which One, which wasn't you know which wasn't a like hated flavor by no. us. I don't think you know it's kind of mid, but it's okay. But that just like that nails it. Now, I'm gonna give that a rocking in the new year with the song "One Week" by Bare Naked Ladies. I've also got to give this a rocking in the new year with the song "One Week" by the Bare Naked Ladies. This is a fabulous seltzer. It's so delicious. 
It's also a seltzer that we usually don't see. You know, like I said, there's a there was a line with cherry and lime. We've seen that done a million times. Peach and tangerine, the, I don't really see. What was the other standout peach? Like, did Vive do a good peach, or was there peach dog shit? I can't remember. Vive do a peach. Remember in their second pack, they did a peach. They had peach, and they yeah, had that it like, god awful cherry flavor. Because or cherry was cherry brought down the pack. I would not buy that pack because of cherry, and the other three flavors were great. Okay. Yeah. yeah so. If memory serves, this beats that. It does. It does. This is so freaking good. Boy, truly. Job well done so far. You just need to bring me home with pineapple and cranberry. Well, this is the one I think we thought had the most promise, so hopefully it, it delivers. Yeah. They may be from different regions and opposite seasons, but put pineapple and cranberry together and you get an award-winning condo that no one saw coming. Well, except us. In their truly test kitchen or whatever. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. I'm giving this a sip. Did this come out recently? Yeah. Like, is this? Because, like, you can't, as a company, release this next to that holiday pack. No. Because guess what? That fourth one's another fucking banger. That's yeah, so good. That's good. That's different. Yeah. That's really different. I love it. It's so tasty. Wow. I'm who a big did, pineapple seltzer fan. I who am. I think those go so well together, though. I don't know, man. I, I think, it does. like, because the, the cranberry is on the finish. It's, it's very pineapple and pineapple, pineapple in the front. It just works. It's almost like a pleasant, sweet aftertaste mm-hmm. that it gets with the, when the pineapple kind of blends over to cranberry. It also doesn't overstay its welcome. Like, it's already gone from my mouth. It's only been a few seconds, which is a good thing. I don't want yeah. it hanging around. That's good, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I got to give it the same. I think, you know, these three in the middle have been kind of right on the same tier for me. Mm-hmm. The only real misstep, the first one was maybe just like, I don't know, to me, it was a little, maybe a little too tart with the lemon and the sweet was a little faker than the other ones. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even still, we rated it a four out of five. It was really good. Yeah. These all rock. I also will give this a rocking in the new year with the song One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies absolutely fabulous truly well done this fucking rocked yeah what a great way to end the year but again it's just it's so strange that they release a pack like this next to that kind of bummer of a christmas pack i do think they came out around the same time i saw them on shelves about the same time this is pretty new so i don't know when they hit they hit they or, or maybe it's like you know we know these are all hits that's why we're selling them eight in a pack mm-hmm so, I have one final question for you. Truly Vodka Seltzer Pack. Did your ball drop for this pack? Oh, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. I'm counting down till the ball drops because I want to savor every second. I mean, consider me kissing the toilet water because my balls have dropped that far <laughs> for this pack. That's so fucking foul. <laughs> Call me grandpa because my balls have dropped past my knees for this pack. Oh my god. Alright, well we need to we need to get to some New Year's resolutions. Which one of these do you want, man? Um hmm. It's real uh real Sophie's choice here. Uh I think I'll take Peach. Peach. Alright, then if we're gonna do this draft style, I will go cherry limeade because I was very pleasantly surprised with that. And then whichever one of the back two you want. It's up to you, man. Yeah, I guess I'll take pineapple then. All right, pineapple it is. I'm drinking the other one downstairs. Just calling it now. That's fine. <laughs> All right. 
So, this is our now annual segment, New Year, New Me. These are HLP New Year's resolutions. Griff and I doing both gaming and non-gaming resolutions. I listened back to episode 76 of The Zone of Truth to see what our 2022 ones, my non-gaming ones. New Year, New Rear resolution. Continue to work on fitness goals. Base squat weight of 250 by end of year. Get better at playing drums. I definitely am well past that 250 as my base squat weight, so absolutely achieved. Very pleasantly surprised with how that went. Get better at playing drums did not happen. I barely played at all this year, so I need to get back on that. My 2022 gaming resolutions. Grow my current characters and challenge myself with new builds for new characters. Read more TTRPG material, APs and source books. I called out Lost Omens, Legends, and Monsters of Myth on the show and came back with enthusiasm from a Tomb Bay post-neutral interlude. So I did challenge myself with new builds for new characters. We didn't have a ton of new characters for me to play this year. Namely, I'm pretty much looking at Ginto for being a summoner. Not an easy class to play at all. Not by any means. But I remember getting done with the first couple episodes and Chris coming up to me and saying that I did a good job with that. So I was like, okay, I'll take that as a win. And I think I play a pretty decent Ginto, especially after our last level up because I really needed to refresh the spell list. Yeah, Um, yeah, that gets tough when you're stuck with a spell list for mm -hmm. 20 episodes. Yeah, so... I think I somewhat succeeded there. Read more TTRPG material. I did read Legends and Monsters of Myth, but really didn't get past most of that. I read a good chunk of Impossible Lands. I wanted to read a couple adventures. That did not happen at all. And come back with enthusiasm from Matumbe post neutral interlude. I'm pretty sure I did. I, I think that went well. I think it kind of got into the, if I can say so, twilight of his story arc of He found his daughter, you know, that was a seed that was planted in episode one, and we are barreling towards finishing up that AP, and Griffin, I've actually already kind of thought of what an epilogue scene could look like for Matumbe that we'll have to talk about after if he makes it through, but uh, I think I achieved that, sure. Yeah. Griff, I know you had some 2022, uh, God, I can't. I just can't nail this resolution. I keep wanting to say recommendations. Yeah, my, I don't know my 2022 recommendations. No. Yeah. What were they and how'd they go? Let's see. So my nine gaming were take the new truck off-road, get proficient in either Logic or Pro Tools editing software, get to 1,500 pound bench squat deadlift, and work in more cardio. So I think for the truck, I didn't take it off-road, but I did do a lot of truck stuff this year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> namely, mostly hauling shit around. <laughs> uh, shit I wouldn't have been able to do without the truck. You know, we wouldn't have been able to move you without renting something or someone mm-hmm. uh, this past year uh, without the truck. So I feel like even though I didn't take it off-road, I still changed the tire on it, did the, you know... It's at least an honorable mention, if not a, a like success through another pathway. Yeah. I think so. As far as get proficient in either Logic or Pro Tools editing software, haven't really had the need to do that. I think Mm -hmm. Adobe Audition, I think our our current editing stack is working really well for us. So I will say kind of sideways, I got proficient in uh, Adobe Premiere Pro, which is the video editing piece. So that'll come in handy for our streams and cutting that kind of stuff up get to a 1500 pound bench squat deadlift i believe i'm there i haven't maxed out in a while but last time i did i think my 
My deadlift was around a 575. Ooh. My squat was around a 545. And my bench was around a 390. So, and that was maybe six months ago. So I think I'm probably there. Yeah, for sure. Probably there. Does that add up to it? I don't know if it does. I think it does. Because you have... It might just be short. You have 575, 550, was it? 545. 545. And then 390. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not by terribly not much, by but yeah, time, you got but, it. Yeah. You definitely did. Yeah, so, you know, six months further, Chris and I have been back on the, like, lifting for strength train a little bit, but this summer we were kind of on the, like, lift for volume train, so I could probably still hit those numbers. And then working more cardio, yeah, I've been walking at my desk a lot because I got a, like, under desk treadmill, which Hell is... Yeah. Which is fun. Not intense cardio, but it's still nice to do for like an hour or two a day. Mm -hmm. As far as gaming, finish book five of Carrying Crown, check. Play more 2E, check. Be a player in more recorded content, check. Buy more dice, check. Get better at VTTs, check. This is an A-plus report card right here. <laughs> this, one, this one, I was like, oh, I got, yeah, I got all of those done. Yeah, I think especially the get better at VTTs, that's what I was worried about because obviously Brooks and Emily moved away. And we needed to be decent at Foundry. All right. So that probably wraps up our 2022 recap. Let's talk about 2023. So my non-gaming, uh, again, I want to say recommendations. That's not right. Resolutions. Resolutions. I know. Resolutions. I want to continue to work on my fitness goals. So one of the things I wrote down was maintain gym frequency. So go at least three times a week when able, usually four. I want to get my bench up, get it up to 200 pounds this year. Hopefully that's possible, but right now I'm pushing like 160. Uh, so I think that's doable. And then I guess this is technically non-gaming, but I want to consistently get guests on the Zone of Truth, which we have our first one scheduled very soon. So I want to keep that fresh. It's very easy for us to fall back in the like, ah, let's just get the two of us in the room and knock one out. Let's get some new blood on here. That's what I want. And then for gaming, I can challenge myself with good builds. I can play fun, easy stuff. But what I see myself doing a lot of times is not planning ahead in my builds. So I'll take something and then I'll level up, take the next thing, level up again, take, take the third thing or whatever, and not really look at feet trees and not really look how I want to grow that past level 10 or whatever. I want to plan ahead. And specifically, I want to plan ahead for Speak With Plants and our new Skull and Shackles campaign. Make sure that, you know, I'm building into things that are good. And sometimes to do that, you need to take things that are a little less advantageous early on or make sure that you're going the right direction or whatever. So I just want to make sure that I'm thinking ahead for my gaming resolution for 2023. Yeah, one of the things I really like about 2E is that there's, it's not as much of a trap if you don't build ahead. There are very few... I mean, they exist, but there are very few feats that are dependent on other feats mm -hmm. to kind of build towards. It's a lot more like, yeah. hey, if I picked a... You know, if I picked a sorcerer, like, I maybe have a bloodline-specific feat or something like that that is dependent, but it's not as much like the, well, I had to take this meta magic to get this meta magic. Yeah, you definitely see that much more in 1E where you have to take some feats that just don't work with what you want to do or just crappy or not exciting to get the good stuff later on. And you know, might not even survive that long. I think one of the, one of the fun things about two E though, is especially like using the free archetype mm -hmm. piece. Like when you plan ahead, 
you can optimize like the level where you get a lot of good stuff. That's what I'm. And that's for. like yeah. that way you you're not like kind of building an asynchronous character. You mm-hmm. you get like you get all your goodies here, and then you can work on another thing that you want to get. But you can you can kind of build to like the where do I want the synergies to hit with this archetype? That's where my head is for this. I want to make sure that I'm not picking free archetypes or something like that because the initial thing sounds cool but because when i get to level eight or level 10 or or whatever it works and it's cool and thematic and awesome and fun to play yeah so that's where my head's at how about you 2023 2023 uh non-gaming we'll see if this pans out i want to get married this year all right, that is uh, that's news <laughs> to me. I can't believe you're sitting on that and just drop that bombshell. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Haley, Haley and I have already been doing a little bit of planning. So, how long you've been engaged for? Good God, like two years, two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, a long time. So that and that's drop that nuclear <laughs> bomb here. Okay, sure. That's it's a big one. Uh, we have some fun stuff in the works for that so well, heads up yeah. i mean you'll get a heads up well <laughs> in advance it's not it's not like we're like oh let's do this in uh april yep but yeah that'd be a good one we'll, well see just if that keep happens in mind if you year. don't get married this year it's gonna be it we're gonna be talking about it this well, time hopefully <laughs> hopefully then next year at least i have the like well we have the venue set and the date and everything mm, <laughs> we're good sure <laughs> you know it's happening so yeah i mean that's my big non-gaming one i'm doing the fitness thing just like you are i, mm-hmm. I don't know that i have like any I'm kind of at the point where I like don't really have any milestones that I'm like trying to hit anymore. It's kind of just like, you know, so remain consistent in that, I guess, is what my goal would be. Mm -hmm. Maybe get some new gear. I don't know. I'd really like to get something that I could do some leg press on Mm -hmm. or at least like a like you've been in our gym. So we have like the lat pull down row machine thing that's plate loaded. I'd like to at least get like a leg curl leg extension version mm-hmm. um just to, it gets a little boring just doing squats for your legs and like i know you could do split squats i know you could do like you know we do romanian deadlifts and bulgarian split squats and all that kind of shit but like nothing really beats just sitting on a thing and knocking out four hard sets of leg curls sure but you can't do that without the machine so maybe that but that's about it for non-gaming that'll take most of my time trying to get married um <laughs> So my gaming ones are obviously to finish Carrying Crown with a bang, finish it well, you know, just have a very climactic and cinematic end of this story uh, that we've been doing for many years. And really, I, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be running three APs this year, so I would be playing in one, and that's all just the recorded stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think. Ideally, you know, I, I'm getting prepped maybe more ahead of time than I'm used to. I'm utilizing Foundry more for a lot of that prep, I think is, is kind of one of my goals. I really want to use the uh, the journaling function in there. And I know we've kind of started to integrate like the loot sheets and that kind of thing into Bestow Curse. I'd like to integrate that across the network just so that getting loot is easy, you know, you guys can actually read like the description of the item that you get. And I'm not always sure. like up on Pathfinder wiki or whatever, like reading the item off. I think that's a little bit more fun. So I want to have all that incorporated. And then probably my biggest gaming thing is that and I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm 
incorporating a homebrew system into Skulls and Shackles, and I'd like to release that on Pathfinder Infinite this year. Really? Yeah. That's a cool goal. Or if not Pathfinder Infinite, at least release like a robust PDF to the patrons. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that keep us afloat, it'd be cool to release that system. Yeah. And I think I've seen it, at least like the first draft or what you're what you're releasing. I don't know if it's fully fleshed out or whatever, but it's cool. I think it, it's fun for the campaign. And yeah, to release it in some way, shape or form would be an awesome milestone. Yeah. Yeah. When I homebrew, I don't really like write stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not like looking to really write an adventure. But I think doing something fun within the, you know, utilizing the rules, but, you know, homebrewing it like Chris and I. I've kind of done that as a joke a lot of times. <laughs> like I think we did the the potion seller archetype on the 2E subreddit. It's fun to do and it's just it, I think it's worth like codifying and, and like writing out so that there's like an existing copy that other people can use. And it's not just like, hey, this is the cool thing that I'm doing that you guys can only hear like bits and pieces of at a time because mm-hmm. we're recording it. I think what that does, one is it puts it out into the world and that's great. But two, what it does is kind of puts that into the hands of people so as they hear what we're doing using a special mechanic not Mm -hmm. just like oh i'm homebrewing this monster in this situation if you're actually building a mechanic or something that's going to be used in the game now they can look at it on the sheet and look at the rules look at the dcs look at how it's built i think that's very valuable yeah I think sometimes I hear that type of stuff on other shows and not necessarily homebrew, but special AP mechanics. Mm -hmm. And because I'm not familiar with those specific AP mechanics, I don't know. I, you know, it's not a video medium, but the expression is like my eyes kind of gloss over. All right. So you succeeded your whatever check. Okay, cool. Something happened. What I'm trying to say is it'll be nice for other people to see that and see the, the rules that we're using. Yeah. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that's my gaming resolution. We'll see if I hit it. Very cool. Well, how about this? How about we talk a little bestow curse? That sound good? Yeah, we haven't done that in a while on this show. Yeah, we generally have been staying away from that. But now that we're going to be feathering some of that into Zone of Truth, I thought this was a good time to talk about book two and do the story so far. Now, why are we doing this? Essentially, I've been having a lot of fun in book two. But there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. We're talking, there's a big overarching plot. There are subplots. There are lots of different things happening. Every character has lots of character plots themselves. And I really don't know how far along we are. It seems halfway-ish. I don't know. What, what, what would you say, Griff? Oh, um, you guys are about 40% of the way through. Okay. I think. Well, keeping in mind that we're 40% of the way, I think it's important to kind of collect everything that's happened and review all of the different subplots that are happening because there's a lot of them. This is not, you know, this is a book that we're cutting out. This is not Scarwall. This is not one giant dungeon crawl. There's not a you're in point A and you're going to get to point B by the end of this book. There's a million things happening and it's important to keep track of that stuff. So here's how this is going to work. I've basically taken the notes that I have written down during our campaign for book two and put them in our agenda. I haven't captured everything, just really the highlights. I'm going to start going through them. 
Griff, at any time, if I'm glossing over something or you want to talk about how you've changed things or this has happened earlier than it should or the book has this thing happening in the background Mm -hmm. that you might not know about, but whatever, it's important. Let me know and just hop in there, okay? Sure, yeah. All right. So at the end of book one, and obviously the last thing that I'll say, huge spoilers for Bestow Curse. If you're not caught up, maybe stop listening. Uh, Yeah, I I would also say... Like, if you don't listen to Bestow Curse and you're in a Curse of the Crimson Throne game, like, a lot of things are out of order in our run. So, like, mm-hmm. even if you're in, like, book three, there's spoilers for you in this recap of book two. All right. So you have been warned. Here we go. All right. Book one finale. Our heroes are hot on the trail of this killer, this serial killer, Rolf Lamb, and end the book with a boss battle. Not against him, though. It's against one of his generals, a Darrow, and the undead corpse of his dad, Gadrin Lamb. This is the character that we all had a little bit of a tie-in in the beginning of Bestow Curse, and we actually killed. We put them down, and our team attends this public execution of Trinia's scapegoat, Molly. So she was, Trinia was accused of assassinating the king, and we saved her but the crown is putting someone else on the chopping block instead. This vigilante blackjack saves the day, getting out of there with her and Sylvie in tow. So blackjack takes Sylvie and Molly back to his little hideout and reveals himself to Sylvie to be Vencarlo Orsini, her teacher at the academy that they're at. There's a, a meetup there and our team gets back together at Mir's place the badger and blade Zolara's hero deck from that she saw at the beginning of book one starts shuffling magically for the book two reading after which there are four interludes we have an interlude where sylvie trains with ven carlo mir checks out her mom she goes back to a plot thread from book one uh, salvatore scream an artist was caring for a sickly old man who has since disappeared She drops off toys at DeVargo's place, Eel's End, for Malishka, the Anadi girl who we were not able to help in the first book, and then meets up with a representative of the Darklight Sisterhood in all-female. What's the qualifier you would put on there? They're not like a thieves' guild themselves. No, they're like an adventuring organization. They're they're very similar to the Pathfinder Society. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd say I'd put their morality somewhere between the Pathfinder Society and the Aspis Consortium, mm-hmm. if you know society play at all, in that they kind of like work for Cheliax. So they're a little bit evil, but they mostly, I mean, they're a little bit like nefarious, more nefarious than the Pathfinder Society, but they're not doing like outright evil things. So they're kind of like morally gray adventurers as opposed to Pathfinders that generally do the greater good. Sure. Uh, she also talks to Gralce Soldado, a character, I, I believe he was on the city guard, and he's asking for help with the spread of a pox at a place called Trail's End. We have a interlude where Vec goes back to his apartment to visit his grandfather, where his grandfather is speaking as Lanty, which is a, a surprise to Vec. And Vec realizes that they have had a visitor who seemingly knew his grandfather. I don't know what's going on there, but we also have an interlude 
where Diego learns from Cressida Croft, the leader of the city guard, that there is a military uh, reorganization happening where the queen is centralizing her power and Cressida can no longer really support us in the same capacity that she did through book one. Essentially, she was kind of our quote unquote guy in the chair, right? Yeah. Telling us where to go and showing like where we could help around the city. Yeah. So a couple things with this bullet. First of all, you don't find out that Blackjack's Vancarlo for like another book and a half in the normal adventure. Uh, the Dark Light Sisterhood isn't a thing in the AP as written, but it's something that when I mentioned it the first time, because that NPC does exist like in the guide to Corvosa and I like just kind of like had her there, you know, Haley immediately perked up to that. And I was like, cool, we're going to use that. Mm-hmm. And then when I tied them into several of our members have been killed by Rolf Lamb, then it's like, okay, well now they're in the story. Does the NPC have a connection to the Darklight Sisterhood or did you add that into the NPC? She is the is like the main member of the Darklight Sisterhood. Oh, in the cool. City. Yeah, sure. It's just you guys happened to go to that tavern mm-hmm. and she was there and, you know, she took an interest in, you know, some of the female characters in the group. So sure. she, she exists in Galarian lore. It's just not a part of the AP at all. Mm-hmm. That she, you know, she, you don't go to like, there's no plot point at the Three Rings Tavern in the AP. You just, guys just ended up going there. And so that's where I put the drunk growl, right? Sure. You're supposed to run into him at a tavern. So that's where I put him. So then you guys could have that plot point. And then it kind of solidifies the Three Rings Tavern as an important place for you guys. And then solidifies Takpar, who is a real NPC in Guide to Corvosa, has nothing to do with this adventure uh, and the dark light sisterhood as a whole like exists not a part of this ap to kind of integrate them with this ap especially based off of what you guys are interested in however the the vet grandfather thing yeah that's something i've been waiting to reveal for a little while and i think it's left more questions than answers um but I, I don't think you picked up on the Easter egg that was in there. I don't think so. I might have to go I don't back think anybody really has. Not that I've heard on the Discord, at least. Yeah. That's something that really interests me because we recorded this episode and we were planning... Well, I think we talked about doing what happened in the next episode here. And you surprised me with this. I wasn't really ready to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And... Okay. We'll see where that goes. I don't. I truly don't know. I'm excited. Yeah, my only hint would be listen to that conversation mm-hmm. and then listen to where the party is at the same time in hideous laughter. Okay. Okay. I got to go back and just check it out. I'm not gonna. Now, now, yeah, it's, and... it's one of those things where you're gonna have to like look at release dates to figure it out. It was mm-hmm. a very topical connection that is very hidden, so I don't really expect you to like pick it up. Sure. So that episode ends and we start another one, which pretty much the front half of that is the the, uh, Vectrinia thing. Yeah. I knew we were waiting to do this. Yeah. It needed to breathe. It needed to take half an episode, you know? And I'm glad we did. I know sometimes you get in those situations where you're role playing around a table and it's like just you and the GM or just you and one other player. And it's like, you kind of worry that other people aren't, you know, being able to participate or whatever. But I did feel like this was really exciting. That particular reveal for the character is one that I've been sitting on basically since episode one and not sure how I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if if I wanted to 
role play with a different PC or have that go in front of the entire party and be like, hey, the three of you, this is what's going on with me. And then as the relationship develops with him and Trinia, it just made so much sense where it's like, hey, this is getting serious and it's getting romantic. And if I were Vec, I would want someone that I'm getting seriously romantic with to know these things about me because the longer you sit on that type of a secret, the worse it is. The worse it is. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because they're going to get to a point where Trinia is 50 and looks 50 and Vec is older and looks the same age. Like, Mm -hmm. then it's like, what have you been hiding from me? So I really just had a great time doing that, but we got to keep moving. We hear from Diego, I believe, about how a Corvosan Navy ship sunk a ship that looks like it was bearing the plague. Mm-hmm. And then we began working with Ashani Daughtry to cure this infected kid with non-magical means. Yes. And what's the name of the plague? Blood something? Blood Veil? Blood Veil, yes. Blood Veil Plague. Blood Veil. We then journey to a bank of Abadar with Ashani Daughtry the crowd being a huge problem for most of us without athletics. Yeah. But Sylvie gets them in there and we have this moment where we meet a bunch of new plague doctors from Cheliax. I believe one of them was called Reinhardt. Um, Reiner. Reiner. Yeah. Reiner. And uh, Shani heals a kid. We head out to the bay to investigate this sunken ship, the plague ship called the Direption. The ship is empty. We fight some eels. And the episode basically ends with Sylvie being addressed by a sea hag who's living in the wreckage on the bottom of the bay. And she is addressing Sylvie as a changeling and referring to something called the call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun. I, I, you know, you kind of, you run through, geez, what, what are we? Uh, we're only like 15 or so episodes into book two. I think so. I think this is 39 where we're at right now 39 or 40 because the Vectrinia stuff is 38 right and book one ended like 35 I think so and we've released you know 43 44 45 Mm -hmm. somewhere around there so it's it's just funny for me to look back at how when book two we've done there's so many of these little like sprinkles of like the character stuff in the story to your point like earlier where it was like there's just so much going on in this book there's so much going on in the plot of the book, but there's like so much going on with the four of you as well mm-hmm. that it's just like, it's a ton. It's a ton of it. Like, I'm looking at all all these. I'm looking at all these. I'm like, Jesus, we really did all that in one episode. And by the way, this isn't everything. This is notes of my notes. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bounce stuff off you. If there's stuff I'm missing, let me know. But there's a lot going on, man. In yeah. a good way. Yeah. We're not just like bullshitting here. <laughs> but yeah, so Sylvie's addressed by this hag about the call. We fight her. We find a dead guy wearing Ergothoan clothes, but it looks like he died in the wreckage by accident. He bumped his head. Yeah. He was maybe wanting to escape, but didn't and, and ended up drowning. But he worshipped or at least venerated this other character called Indacin, who we find out is a rogue plague spreader who spent some time in Nadal and is responsible for a spread of bubonic plague there. We find out that Eels End, uh, Devargo's stomping grounds is under quarantine and I believe it's Emily who ends up supposing that the plague is being spread by coins. Mm-hmm. 
which is the Abadar tie-in. Now, one of the things that I don't think you mentioned on air, Griff, is that we came to this conclusion a little earlier than you expected. Yeah. Yeah, a decent amount earlier. It's about at the halfway point that -hmm. you're supposed to kind of come to that conclusion, and at this point, you're like 25% of the way through the book. Yeah. So I'm like, (laughs) let's pivot. Yep, some things might happen a little out of order. And they do. They end up happening. You know, the Giotoro stuff, as we get to that, it all happened far earlier than it was supposed to. Okay. Yeah, because we're going to talk about that very soon. That's a little bit of a surprise for me. So we go visit DeVargo at Eel's End. We find out that he isn't quite as mad with us as we thought about the Malishka Anadi incident. Still upset, but he basically says, I was frustrated at you. I threw you out. I've calmed down a little bit, but it's not like we do anything in this moment to make it any better. In fact, we try and heal somebody at Eel's End and it goes poorly, but we get out of there before anybody kind of calls us. One of the things that we hear is that the were rats of the city are being hunted because people think that rats carry plague and just assume that were rats carry plague and they're spreading this. Not the case. It's just. I don't know, discrimination or racism against them. Well, I mean, they are like were creatures. So mm-hmm. it, in the context of like the setting, you know, people are biased against were creatures. Oh, sure. In general. Yeah. You um, understand that. Like they like, live in the sewer reaction. and they like turn into rats and they speak with rats and control rats and stuff. So mm-hmm. you can see where they come to that conclusion. It just happens to be a false one. Yeah. Uh, we all kind of split up. Sylvie passes this shop called Lavender, which is a perfume shop that are apparently selling a cure to the plague, although it's pretty clear that that's fake. But she has an interaction with somebody outside that she gives funds to to try and get an anti-plague in, you know, in compensation for, hey, if you try and take this snake oil, let us know how it goes, if it actually does work. And this is where we hear what I believe is the book title, Seven Days to the Grave. Just an accounting of how long it takes to die when you have blood veil. Yep. Yep. Blood veil, seven days to the grave. Mm hmm. Great name for a book, by the way. I do like that. Very honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're back at the Bank of Abadar. Try and get through the crowd. Diego yanks Vec through, but Vec does get infected here. I'm very concerned. We talk to Ashani Daughtry and find that the infected coins may have come from old Corvosian accounts some North Point businesses or a transfer from the crown. What he's able to help us out with is that he gives us the location of Giotoro's toys and the little nugget of information that some of the folks who are supposed to be disposing of the bodies are in fact disappearing. Immediately we go, well, book one is all about a necromancer or rather that's where it culminates. Mm -hmm. And if you spread play, you get a lot of dead bodies, which you can bring back to life. It's not a surprise knowing that Necromancer is not dead, that bodies are disappearing. Yeah. So we go to Giotoro's. There's a pile of dead bodies. Giotoro himself is dead, and his soul-bound doll son tells us of some vampire spawn. What did you call them? Blood and suckins? Blood and suckins? That's right. (laughs) Um, That are basically working out of the basement, and we have this massive fight in that basement which I don't think I've mentioned before on air was my favorite fight of the podcast so far of bestow cars. This was claustrophobic. It was cramped. It was brutal. We all gave it all that we had and we survived. It was a tough one. 
but it was fun. I liked it a lot. Yeah. The doll is not in the AP. Yeah. <laughs> so I added him in to give you guys some like context mm-hmm. of the situation and kind of give you guys more of like a timeline and also to like tie in some stuff with Mir, which obviously we get to in the next episode where he clearly like knows and he knows Mir's mom went and to school with an orc uh, woman had the hots for her. Yeah. We have uh, a very, very romantic kiss between her and the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, some might say excessively romantic, but yeah. you know, Haley really leaned onto it. Yeah, Haley really leaned into that. Um, we cut like we six cut like minutes of content. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little egregious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, children listen to this show. Yeah, I mean, come on. Really PG, PG-13. Jeez. We faded to black on the Vex stuff, but oof. <laughs> Boy, I was shocked you never cut to black. Yeah, I mean, it's it just thing. like, yeah. Was, I, after the third lie to me to get his nose to grow, I was like, okay. <laughs> We're just going to have to go all out. We're going to have to finish this. Yeah. Well, maybe one day we'll re-release that on the Patreon. <laughs> okay, so there's a moment. Mir gets some magical mistletoe or whatever, and we find a bank safety deposit key. Diego and Vec have their blood transfused into Sylvie to help save her from a vampire bite or disease or curse. I can't quite remember exactly how that falls in, but she was afflicted with something. Mm-hmm. And we get our gear at the bank, we rest, and then there is a flashback to something that happens in book, or rather, not something that happens, but something that ties into to book two of, book two of Rise, Rise of the Rune Lords. So talk to me a little bit about that if you'd like to. Yeah, so <laughs> if you've played Rise of the Rune Lords, you know that Voral Foxglove was trying to turn himself into a lich in mm-hmm. Foxglove Manor, uh, failed and got like infused into the walls of the manor as this like disgusting lichen fungus thing. Mm-hmm. It turns out that that is a key ingredient in Blood Veil, but you never find that out. Uh, oh. It actually, <laughs> because the Foxgloves are, or at least Voral's wife was Varesian. Mm-hmm. Blood Veil skips one in ten Varesian. Like, Varesians have a natural immunity to it. Mm. Um, which is something that, like, again, you never really find out in this adventure unless you're super digging. And it's because Voral's phage, this lichen, was used in the creation of the disease. Oh, that's nuts. Which, I guess, also gives you the tip off that the Red Mantis is somehow involved. Mm-hmm. Right, and that was the big thing here, was that... Not only was this a Rune Lords tie-in, but the character who harvested it was very deliberately described as someone who is involved with the Red Mantis mm-hmm. organization. So I know you've mentioned to us before that they're going to tie in at some point. I think this is the first time we see them, right? It is, yeah. Okay. So very interested to see where that goes. And now we are on the last released episode of the Curse which is largely a shopping episode, but there's some important stuff in here. We have this interaction between Vec and Sylvie where we talk about Vec's curse a little bit. He just kind of hints at it to her, says, hey, you have my blood in me now. I don't know what that means, but if you start noticing things that go wrong with you or seem 
reminiscent of things you've seen in me, let me know because then I'll have to tell you about what to expect. Right. Because he, he doesn't know how it spreads. Mm-hmm. And then segues that into a discussion about her changeling heritage. This is a throwback to the fight in the direction with the sea hag thing. And the reason I did this, I texted Emily the day before because I was like, hey, there was that big thing about you being a changeling and we didn't do anything about that right we never asked you <laughs> like, yeah. like you were very specifically called out by this creature and then we just fought her and moved on like we need to dive into that a little bit and we don't learn a whole lot right she basically just says I am adopted my parents are not my blood parents mm-hmm. and I know there's something weird going on with me and Vec just says hey you know what when this is all over, let's figure that out together. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think the other important thing about, you know, that part is the, this shopping episode is the scene you get with Diego where it, it just seems that like the Shawanti in the city, like now know him and oh, are sure. kind of like rallying behind him, mm-hmm. which will, you know, obviously snowball into something important, but is, is kind of getting seated here. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I didn't write down. Absolutely very important. Very excited to see how that plays out. Later in this episode, we talk to the were-rat lady. Um, her last name, I think, is Yellow Eyes. Yuri's Yellow Eyes. Yuri's yeah. Yellow Eyes. Vec removes the blood veil disease that he's carrying, which I was very concerned about, especially when you uh, gave me some actual symptoms of it. Yeah. <laughs> they were horrible. Yeah, that's just stage one. I mean, it kills you in seven days, so... Yeah, clock's ticking. But we find out that the were-rats are organizing to strike back against some of the people that are persecuting them. Can't really blame them, honestly. But we head below into the sewers to try and stop them before they're able to make the situation worse. We see some mushrooms that we determine are shrieker mushrooms, kind of a alarm system if people are trying to sneak up on someone. Figgy disarms it, major quotes there by just eating the mushrooms, and a fight starts with rat folk. That's it. We are caught up. And let me tell you, next episode is quite a combat. Yeah. Holy crap. (laughs) I'm sure the one after it will be too. Yeah, I would think so. (laughs) Maybe worse. Yeah. All right. Now, that is basically book two in a nutshell. I can't believe that so much was packed into just the first 40% of the goddamn book. Mm. That's a lot, man. We talked a little bit about story beats that were changed for book two. You were hopping in during. I want to make sure that you have an opportunity right now to say, okay, this I pulled in from earlier or later or change. Is there anything significant right now that you just want to talk about that might not be quite the cookie cutter Curse of the Crimson Throne experience. Yeah, you're not supposed to know who Salvatore Scream is. Oh! At all. That's not what I expected to hear from you right now. I thought that was, uh, I thought we were done with that, at least for now. Yeah, very important character. Hmm. It's interesting because we really don't know much about him. He's just kind of introduced, right? But But you know, like, his house has been ransacked and he and the guy he was gone treating are missing. Yeah. And you got that tidbit that you know, the Cerulean society might be involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Anything else? Um, I mean, there's just, there's a lot changed there. I mean, the, the story beats are the same, mm-hmm. you know, they're in a different order now. 
like all these things that you guys are investigating, like that's all a part. That's all for the most part, a part of the book, right? It's just like, you know, you getting information from DeVargo, like you're supposed to have killed him in book one. Like, really? You know, he's not supposed to be your friend. Mm-hmm. He just is because of Mir's tie in with him. And like, that's going to lead to him being having a far more important role than he did in the main books. Yeah, there's a decent amount of stuff that's just, it is just changed for good in this adventure because of the way you guys played book one. Yeah. Um, like, I imagine that something like that where DeFargo should be dead, well, he's a recurring NPC now who, in book two, after he should be dead, gave us quests and who we're developing a relationship with. And we still have to figure out the Malishka thing. Like there are so I'm shocked that he should be dead in book one. Truly I am because there's so much that has branched out from him as a character that we still have to do. Yeah. I, well, I, I think that's just, that's part of what you can do in this AP because it's such a dynamic world. Mm-hmm being in a city like you can change people's roles into other roles or you can allow different people to give the information that should have been given like there's just there's so many people you've met and you've interacted with that like you would not know in a bog standard run of this game for instance like in that final fight Gadrin's not there Mm, this one I heard on the discord yes like and he's certainly not souped up like I made him Mm -hmm. like you're not supposed to know who the Keylock Killer is. You guys like have done things and have become curious about certain things that have given you information that the average party doesn't have. And so you've gone down these lines that the average party doesn't go down. And maybe that leads you to a similar spot because that's how I run games for you guys. Is like, mm-hmm. you know, I lead you on the right path, even if you came to it from a different way. Yeah. But I just say it's like it's very different. Our playthrough of this is just going to be completely dictated by you guys. Your next question here is how sandboxy is it? It's yes. very fucking sandboxy. Mm-hmm. A city adventure is very sandboxy, and so I'm I'm utilizing that open ended nature to make certain people more important, to tie more things in, to give you guys this sense of connection with the whole world that you don't necessarily get if you just run it as written. Like when you realize the importance of Scream later down the line, you're gonna be like, oh my God, that's the guy we met that like, you know, he was just like trying to help this other guy. Like, and it's all gonna click. He's just a famous Banksy painter who painted like weird Hellraiser-y stuff. Yeah. But he's actually this really important guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. All right, any more comments on the sandboxiness or are we good on that? No, I think we're good on that, yeah. My next question. Now, I've seen a lot of discourse on our Discord about, like, I mean, giant elephant in the room. Book two is about a plague. We have all lived through COVID. How is your experience with COVID colored how you're running this book? I think it's impossible not to let it color your experience. Right? I this absolutely book. agree. When you even going so far as like letting you guys use PPE to get a bonus uh, on something like it's yeah. nothing, that's never something we would have talked about if we had we not experienced like masking up for COVID. Mm-hmm. This whole perfume place gives different shades of like ivermectin and shit mm-hmm. when you when you've actually experienced people doing these crackpot bullshit cures for something that is deadly. You know, yeah. as you start to see bodies pile up, it's like impossible not to correlate that to the death toll of COVID. 
what I think going through it allows you to do is to, I mean, it's brutal, but make it as realistic as possible. Yeah. You know, we in our lifetime have never experienced something like this until a couple years ago. And it makes it feel very real. I struggle to think that our four characters trying to get through the coughing crowd would have the same impact that it does having gone through COVID. Like, yeah. I remember going through airports or in the grocery store or wherever, and you hear someone cough and you're like, fuck, I'm going to get sick. I could die. Like, right. <laughs> but it's just like people packed on top of each other. Remember the first time we went to a concert after COVID? Yeah, it was like, just like, ugh. Yeah, it just, and it's that it's that itchy feeling that we've like described multiple mm-hmm. times on this show that you get like after you've been around all these people and you know that your likelihood of getting sick is high. It's like that thing that we described like Vec having in the mm-hmm. first day when he didn't know if he was sick. It's the thing we described Sylvie having when she knows that Vec was sick and she, you know, got a blood transfusion from him. It's that feeling that is all too real. After having experienced co like how many how many times did we have like text message exchanges between us on the podcast network? Like, oh, I was just in work and somebody at work didn't test positive, but their family member did. Are we mm-hmm. good to record tonight? Like yeah. we, we did so much of that. Mm-hmm. And I mean we still do. It's yeah, still happens, I mean, that's you know? absolutely true. It hasn't changed really, but so I think it's uh it's definitely colored the experience to be more realistic. I I remember you guys even saying in like book one, when there was all that unrest, it's like, Oh God, like us living in this, like, especially like me and Haley living close to downtown in a city. Mm -hmm. Like I remember hearing, like hearing constant sirens and hearing like, you know, seeing people like on our street protesting and that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, the anxiety of that in game is like, it's definitely compounded by the fact that you've experienced something similar so i think you guys are you guys are getting the almost book two horror story of reliving the worst parts of covid but in like medieval time when it's even even harder to fix it feels much more real than and not to like bad talk any other show that we've been on but like it feels much more real than a haunted house or like uh, going to a village that's populated by people that worship Dagon. It's like, I understand that mm-hmm. from a storytelling perspective, but I haven't lived that. Right. This bestow curse stuff, I kind of been through. And that makes it hit really hard. Yeah, absolutely. All right. A couple more quick questions about bestow curse before we get to listener questions. Any comments on the 2e conversion of this book? It's been pretty good. I mm-hmm. think the um, skills and stuff converted are done really well. I have kind of had to tweak around some encounters, and mainly that's just because of the order you guys are experiencing things. Sure. That it's like something should have happened when you guys were level four. Other things definitely happen when you're level five and you're experiencing them early. You know, so I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of always tweaking stuff one way or another just because of how sandboxy this is. But I think the back half gets a little more straightforward for you guys. And I think the conversion, you know, from what I've read of it is is pretty solid. Good. That rocks. 
my next question was how far are we in book two? I think you said about 40% okay. or so, which is good. And my last question here then is what should people expect for the back 60% of the book? Mm. Uh, should we expect more mini dungeons like we've been seeing? Should we expect something a little bit more longer form, more plague stuff, lots of people dying? What's going on, man? Yeah, expect, ready for. expect more revelations about the plague. Expect a direct correlation later on between what you've been doing and how many lives you've been saving. Oh. Because people are going to start dropping really fast. Mm-hmm. And everything that you've done so far, even though it feels like you haven't necessarily like done a cure or anything, like is slowing that down. So there's some sort of mechanic behind the scenes, like... I don't think it really matters in the end game, but like Carnival of Tears, right? Exactly. There's mm-hmm. a, in that Patreon show that we did, there were several things that we could have done early on to reduce the death toll. And at the end, there's a little bit of a wrap up. Like you did A, B, and C. That meant that X amount of civilians were saved. You did not do D, E, and F. That means that the death toll is Y. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And which could have Z consequence for the next four books, I'm yep. sure. I mean, expect people that you know to start to be in danger Uh of the plague. It begins to be such an issue that it's going to impact everyone, Mm -hmm. much like, you know, COVID is. Expect some trauma for Mir. Uh Uh-oh. And expect, like, a very big dungeon. Wow. Okay. Oof. I'm very excited. This show has been so much fun to play in, and I'm very excited to see what we do with the back half. Oh, boy. Any other last notes before we move on? Hit some listener questions. Uh, We're like at or above halfway to making the show weekly, and then we can get to book three this year. That's true. So tell your friends. Tell your friends. Get on that Patreon. Because guess what? If you support the Patreon, you're going to get more good shit. Malevolence is awesome. It's so much fun. Yeah. And And you get some plants soon. And then you get a bunch of back stuff, too. You get like 70 episodes of uh, Link Legacy. Yeah. Good episodes. So far. Oh, most of them are good. No, I'm kidding. They're, all, they're all great. Some of it's all right. So we're pretty deep into this episode, so we're not going to do a whole bunch of listener questions today. I think we're just going to do one. And it's one that I think ties in well to the thematic New Year's resolutions deal. Leather Lad asks, could Steve... Now, I'm going to expand that to Stephen Griffin together. Paint a word picture of what the HLP monthly calendar would look like. Who's January? What's the theme? Etc. So this is something that I actually pitched very on in Hideous Laughter Productions. I wanted to do a Men of the Hideous Laughter podcast (laughs) calendar, uh, which at the time was just Griff, Brooks, and myself. Now it's Griff, Brooks, myself, Chris, and Tim. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that that's what five of us right five months so we each get two months and then we have two multi-men multi-men yeah so i think december is all five of us together yeah right i don't know if the other multi is all five or just like a pairing or just a few of us Mm -hmm. but yeah i think there would be a good opportunity to have like a, a very symbolic month like i don't know which month it would be but like I mean, obviously, we're, we're fully nude for all of these, but you're nude with like the GM, uh, the GM screen in front of your junk. <laughs> this has to be like the like the fireman catalog, right? Right. We're, right yeah, we're, yeah. we're naked, but you don't see any actual like yeah. bits and pieces. 
Okay. Yeah, so, so those are my first so like, thoughts. Yeah. So December's got a lot of like mistletoe and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Dece- keep, keep in mind this is all like TTRPG related. Well, I think December is yeah. the one where we're not all like we're not all naked, but we're like we're all in like like Christmas themed like. Yeah. But, but it's like skimpy, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Very skimpy. It's like uh, like you guys with like reindeer antlers on, and, and you're Santa, Santa yeah, and, I'm, and I'm Santa in the sleigh, <laughs> the beard. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Now I thought. Brooks and I have done costumes for the show. Brooks has Ed Turner, so I could see him doing like the circular purple glasses and the slicked back hair and the big coat, but nothing underneath. <laughs> no, the nothing coat. under the coat. <laughs> yeah, I obviously have the saw uniform, so that's got to be in there. I think uh, Chris tastefully does an Ezra. God uh, spread, so he 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 has like little wings. Just has a raven has little in wings, front of his crotch. Little wing. No, no, no. He, he has a king cake in front of his crotch. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. What month? The February, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mardi yeah. Gras. You want to find the baby, plastic Jesus? Yeah. Oh boy. What mm. else we got? Let's see. I don't know what month you would do this all one for. Mm. I would say that's Halloween. Well, maybe Halloween is the second compilation one. Oh, the okay. Where uh, we all we all do like one of those pictures with like the pumpkin heads on or whatever. Have you seen those like families taking like pictures with the hollowed out pumpkins? Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. And then we all have like a gourd <laughs> in front of the action. Yep. Yeah. I think so. It would probably be February then because people are into it. Well, uh, uh, but Chris is February with the king cake. Oh shit! You're yeah. Right. No wait, that's Mardi Gras. That's that's a uh, that's usually March. I thought. Oh, Mardi Gras is February. Is it? Yeah. Oh. I'm pretty sure. Could be. Well, it do- doesn't matter. But, yeah. Um, I don't... What, what would we have Tim doing? Um, ooh. A throwback to the finale of No Response from Deep Mar. I want him buck-ass naked in front of, in front a, of a piano. piano. Yeah. yeah in front of a piano. Pretty good, good one. Trying to think of what Brooks's should be. What if he did, like, an Igber thing, but, like, he only had, like, the arm and leg armor... Mm-hmm. And a shield, <laughs> like the rest of him was. Yep. <laughs> or put him in, put him in Ix loincloth. Oh, duh! Of course, it's Ix loincloth. Yeah, Ix yeah. loincloth. Of course, that's it. Uh, and then, like, Photoshop the like yellow eyes on him, like he's, <laughs> like, he's like he's a werewolf. Yeah, we'll put some, we'll put some ears on him too. Big fluffy tail. <laughs> no idea how that's connecting. Well, how's he holding that up? Yeah, leave it up to the imagination. Yeah. Oof. What month would that be? Be like September. That's fair. Yeah, for the harvest. For the harvest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess we could do like a do like a speak with plants one for the harvest too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the November. Let's get Tim in there. Um, I don't know terribly much about his speak with plants character. What if What if it was a giant? Um, what if this was another group one and it's a giant cornucopia, but it's with all the speak with plants boys like half naked uh, coming out of the front. We should just do that. <laughs> That's a good enough idea. We just do I don't know that. where you're going to cornucopia that size. Uh, we could commission one. <laughs> yeah, a giant cornucopia, a house-sized cornucopia with us all. <laughs> cornucopia large enough for four men to fit inside. Five. Five of us spilling out of it. It's going to be looking good. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking just to speak with plants, boys, but yeah, we could yeah. definitely have Brooks in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's pretty much good. I mean, we don't need to go through every month, but I think this gives people an idea of what we would where our heads at eventually. Yeah, our heads eventually, at. sell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where all five heads are at. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> All right, well, I think that about does it for this episode of The Zone of Truth, episode 102. Got to do a little bit of wrap-up and housekeeping right now. So, at time of release, you only have a couple days before our next Drunken Discordly. That's going to be on the 7th. And then the next live Zone of Truth is the 14th. That is just going to be Griff and myself, like normal. But the Zone of Truth after that, we are going to have a very exciting special guest. Griff, a, a guest that you brought up to me. I don't know. Do we want to announce that now or, or save it for the live one? We'll save it for the live we'll one. We'll save it Feel for the live suspense. one. Okay. We'll save it so then, so then we can launch the... Hey, guys, ask questions thing at the same time. Good call. All right. Well, we got a cool guest coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun, but I think that pretty much wraps us up for housekeeping. I don't think there's anything else we need to announce. Am I right or am I right? Nope, that's it. Great. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Griff, let's go party in the new year. And is there anything else you want to tell the people before we get out of here? Oh, happy new year, everyone. Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.